You're listening to Family Rules, the podcast on BYU Radio, inspiring ideas, inspiring families. Oh, get ready, get ready and get excited, parents, for a technology conversation like you've never heard before. Welcome to Family Rules, the podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Walker, practically jumping out of my chair. I'm so excited to bring you today's interview because in truth, it will not only share truth and wisdom that so many parents are craving, but it will provide a light, not a levity necessarily, but a light because we know the topic of technology comes with great weight and responsibility, especially in this day and age. But if you're looking for some empowerment, some positive, inspiring suggestions, on how technology might be handled, treated, and even used for good as a force in your home, you're in the right place. Our guest today is Emily Jones. She's the co-founder of Family Tech University, and she and her husband, Dave, came together to create Family Tech University. It stems from their own personal experience as the parents of five beautiful kids. They know something about parenting the Wild West, if you will, of today's tech. Dave brings the IT experience. He's an IT professional with more than 20 years of hands-on practical experience. He's also an outdoor enthusiast, just to balance it out. Emily is passionate about mothering. She's also a published author. But as they set out to try to create structure and create solid guidelines around the topic of technology in their own home, they recognized a gap. In fact, Emily describes the gap as one of terror. As they started to read and educate themselves, they were paralyzed with the fear that often comes as we try to take on technology as responsible responsible parents. Their approach is different. Boy, is it different. It's unique. And at the root of it, as you'll hear Emily testify, they believe children have more in them than we give them credit for. Listen and learn as we talk about how to structure not only the use of technology, but the understanding of technology in your home. How do guidelines come into play? Should strict, rigid rules be part of your family's technology approach? Rather than being the parents who constantly tell their kids, it's time to turn off the devices, screens off, screens off, Emily believes there is an internal filter that we can teach and help our kids develop. Let's listen to all of the practical ways she says we can do that. Emily, welcome to Family Rules, the podcast. I'm so excited to dive in with you today. Oh, thanks for having me, Brooke. We have to set the table, so to speak, metaphorically, because I think your family's story is one a lot of families can relate to, and particularly how you and your husband came to to develop this family tech university speaks to that family story. So you were seeking, like so many parents, guidance and information about how to manage technology in the home, and ultimately what you found was a lot of fear-based education out there. I mean, there wasn't a lot of positive, raw Raw's going on. Does that sum it up accurately? That is so accurate. It is so accurate. And I think most parents can totally identify that. There really is kind of a certain level of honestly terror associated with trying to parent technology Mm -hmm. because we see we see these headlines and they are terrifying. Mm -hmm. They really are. There are a lot of things, you know, out there that are 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 just a, a really difficult. It's a difficult thing for parents to tackle. And we did. We were doing a lot of research. Of course, we had our oldest child who was asking for his first phone. And that's the big dun-dun-dun. Oh, it's what the question I dread in my child's five. I mean, I just can't. I'm just dreading the day already that those words come out of her cute little mouth. Yeah. Yeah, it's really true. And as a parent, it kind of sets you back a little bit. And you think, okay, 
we've got to be on our game. What are we going to do here? And so truly when Dave and I started kind of researching and trying to decide how are we going to tackle this element in our home, we did find really a, a generation of parents that were just swimming in fear. Our parents did not show us how to parent a cell phone. Well, and I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, we, we come to this parenting dilemma with a little bit of a handicap because we ourselves didn't grow up having to use that or utilize that or manage that. So we already feel inept in some ways to deal with it. We really do. We really do. And I, I think it's I think it's natural. I don't criticize the experts out there for, for really highlighting the dangers and those kind of things. But what we found as we kind of researched is that that fear, that fear, that fear-based approach becomes paralyzing Mm -hmm. for parents. Mm -hmm. Um, It makes them naturally distrustful of their children. And it's, it's so frightening that it, it, inhibits the inspiration and the creativity that as parents we can employ in order to address this. And so that was the gaping hole that we found out there was no one's out there talking about how to convince these kids themselves mm-hmm. to choose wisely. Well, there, that was the gaping hole. You touched on life skills there in that description, the discipline, right? Or using it for service and positivity. These are all things we want to teach them anyway. So it almost just makes sense that it might go, those, those lessons might go hand in hand with the upbringing of technology. Absolutely. Absolutely. Talk to me about this idea of your curriculum. I mean, what you essentially created for your family and now for other families is a tech-based curriculum where your kids become the students and you have them go through a number of exercises. And I'm using my words here. I'll let you fill in fill in the gaps more appropriately. But you, you help them develop those skills so they're ready to take on technology in a healthy way. Yes. So, you know, as we did our research and discovered that there was such a lack of of information or opportunity or understanding of how to actually convince the child to be wise, how to help them develop those those skills of of having self-control and managing their time, we decided that just in line with the concept that kids really do have to put in some effort in order to gain wisdom. Mm-hmm. We we really cannot give wisdom to our children. It's something that comes by study and by practice. And so with that concept in mind, we thought, you know what? Let's gather together the very best materials online. Let's find the research studies. Let's find the news stories. Let's find the videos and, and materials that are most convincing in nature. And let's organize them into this curriculum that addresses the things that matter most to us as parents. The warnings about pornography addiction, the um, concerns that come with social media consumption, um, how to find balance and stillness, all of these things. We decided we would just kind of organize these materials in a way that our kids would consume it almost like a driver's ed course for the phone. I love that. Yeah. There's there's some exercises too. There's reading, there's learning, there's studying. One of the exercises I'd love you to describe for us is this observation opportunity where your kids are in a public place and you've challenged them to look for what? The intent of that exercise is walk out there into society, go out and sit in a library, sit in a public park, sit somewhere where there's lots of people, be a fly on a wall and watch how technology is impacting regular life. That that is among the most powerful experiences because when we step back, we're not part of it, 
we kind of step back right. and and observe what's happening. What kinds of impact is this having on people's interactions or lack of interactions with each other? How is technology really impacting? And most kids come away from it wide-eyed. Oh, I bet. Honestly. Well, and there's an esteem that comes from this. Like mom and dad are trusting me to be part of this process. It's It's going to play totally different, I would imagine, on their minds than if mom and dad were just telling me, do this, don't do that. They're part, they're engaged. They're part of the process. Yes. In fact, re- really, I mean, the this is really the higher law of parenting technology because the lower law is we are afraid and we are going to build a fence around this kid and we are going to keep them from any exposure. We are going to remove them from any chance of error or mistake and we are going to protect them. And the problem with that is, is that the child does not have owned beliefs. Like you said, the, the parent might pour out upon that child, you know, through the lectures and the speeching and those kind of things, their ideas. Mm-hmm. But when a child grasps hold of a belief and owns it, brings it into their heart, that becomes part of we like what we like to call the internal filter. And I'm it becomes I'm glad you yes. mentioned that phrase. So as we talk about lower law versus higher law of parenting around technology, there is some benefit to that lower law, especially when they're younger, right? And we often hear about filters Absolutely. or, you know, systems that we put into place on the computer, on the technology that will act as that gatekeeper. But here you're taking that word filter and applying it to the person, applying it to the user. Describe what you mean by internal filter. Yes. Well, the, really, the, the concept of it can be described in an experience we had with our kids when they were toddlers, okay? So we, we our oldest three boys were just little guys. And I tell you what, they were in the road all the time. They were out in the road. They were messing in the neighbor's garages. They were just out there. And it terrified it's me, not just my children. At least once a week, I'm <laughs> running to the neighbors, like that two-year-old's knocking on your door, ringing your doorbell. They're quick, aren't they? They are so quick. And so, of course, what's your immediate, your immediate response? Build a fence. Yes, lock them in. So Lock them in. So that's what we did. We built a fence and um, built this. My my husband labored for a whole summer on this gorgeous six-foot fence. And we thought, oh, we have arrived. (laughs) They are safe. And I tell you, within two days, Brooke, they had dug a hole under the fence with my husband's golf club. No! Oh, those yes. smart little kids. Golf clubs. That's an interesting <laughs> digging tool. You don't often see that. In Whatever's the dirt. at hand. <laughs> yeah. And so so truly this concept is the fence is necessary. These really these fences that we put up are the training wheels sure. of technology use. So we put up the fence, but we always, always have in mind that they will become tall enough to reach the latch and that those golf clubs are always in the closet, <laughs> right? And so so it, as we build these fences, which are so important, we have always got to be laser focused on teaching them about the road so that when they reach that latch, when they away from parental supervision, they're away from the filters, they are going to navigate it. They're going to get it. So it's really a new kind of training. I go back to that word wisdom, which is such a wise word, no pun intended, but especially attached to the topic of technology. How can we teach kids their own limits so that they use that wisdom to judge and and exercise accordingly? Well, I think, Brooke, we begin with amazing training. We really do begin with that. And so the the way that we begin that is first by obviously presenting them with truth, 
whether that's um, materials that they can consume, a parental example that they can watch. They need the nuts and bolts. Why is pornography dangerous? Why? Mm -hmm. They need the nuts and bolts of why kids are impacted sometimes negatively by too much screen time. As and we, they're not going to get that with the fence, right? They're not going to get that with just the fence. Right. That's right. And so we first present them with truth. We find ways to present them with truth. And then when we do that, we also find ways for them to digest that. And one of the most powerful ways is by those conversations with a parent. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can remember um, we had come across a video. It was a special news report for a major news organization that was exposing um, social media giants for the algorithms that they were using to keep people hooked. Mm -hmm on their programs. Mm -hmm. It was kind of an expose about the algorithm algorithms that they were and using it had in order to keep everyone there. talking and everyone buzzing. I remember it. It did. Yeah. It did. And so we thought, well, let's show this to Ben, our oldest boy. This was when he was kind of in that process of, of learning. And we showed it to him. And I'll tell you what happened. What happened was he was incensed. He was angry. He watched it. He said, mom, I can't believe they do that to us. It was like a light bulb had gone off. And with that awareness, he makes completely different decisions with regard to technology, just from the, the wisdom and the, the, the understanding that had come to him through that. And a, a big light bulb went off in, in our heads and we thought something's happening here. This boy has developed an opinion. Mm -hmm. He now has a, a personal opinion about what's really going on here, and that will impact his decision-making. Well, look at the process of that. I think the best parenting comes when it's rooted in, in good life values. So you're talking about truth leading to opinion, ultimately leading to wisdom. That's a, that's a pattern of just righteous living. That's a pattern of just smart living in general. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Talk to me about this idea of a life vision. It's one of the exercises in your curriculum, and you believe it's key, it's core to developing that wisdom that, that, that we've talked about. It really is, Brooke. Um, really, in our day, we think that teenagers who choose well with technology are an anomaly, but they are not. They are out there. Mm. And as Dave and I kind of came into contact with some of these kind of kids who seemed of their own accord to be choosing well, we would ask, why do you do it? Why do you do this? Why? What motivates you to be balanced? These are the kids that are putting their phones away when they're with their friends, mm -hmm. that are way when they're at dinner. They're and the we kids would, I desperately want to raise. Like, how yeah. do I raise that? How do I? Yeah, exactly. So tell me what you found. Yes. And so what we found was the common thread with these kids was a potent life vision. These were kids with dreams. And they were dreams as widespread as you can imagine. Dreams about future family life, dreams about careers, dreams about educational opportunities or adventure or exploring the world. And what we have found is that if you can connect for a child the current way that they use technology with those future dreams, if you can show them and help them make that connection that the way I use tech today can impact these dreams that are mine, those kids make powerful 
Emily, I have to tell you, I, I just had chills as you were talking, and I'll tell you why. I love when truth or teaching overlaps, and I can't tell you just this season on this podcast, in the conversations we've already recorded, how often this has come up. I talked about it with Brad Wilcox. I talked about it with Professor Hank Smith, this idea of kids needing this vision, this wider perspective, and here it boils down to even things like cell phone use. I just, I just love when truth piles on truth, so I think you're onto something with this. It's really true. And I think, I think, I think you say that so well. I think as parents, when we recognize truth, how do I help develop this life vision? Then we use our creativity in order to make that happen. And in our family, what felt right was part of this curriculum, kind of the crowning part of it would be that that child would make a life vision recording. And that what they would do is they would sit down and make an audio or video recording of themselves talking about their life dreams. And they would go through and and kind of digest all of this in their journal. And then from that experience, they would make an audio recording. And they would talk about, these are the things that I want. And this is the type of person I want to become. And then they are to, they're prompted to address how is my technology use connected with this vision? And Brooke, when I, I have not listened to one of these recordings one time without becoming emotional I when I listen to my kids talking about this, because there is more in them than we give them credit for. There is more to them. And if I could banish one error in thinking in this world it just might be how underestimated our children are uh, in their capacity to choose well. There are dreams inside of them and there is a light inside of them that has a capacity to face these technology things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when we light that fire, when we, when we nurture that natural capacity to choose well in order to be happy, mm. it is powerful. You can almost step back and watch them go. Mm. I feel emotional just listening to you because it's true. I mean, of all the challenges they're faced with, technology for sure being one of them, they're ready. They're equipped. They can do it. They're wired into this challenge. They're going to meet it head on. What do you say, Emily, when you and Dave are asked by other parents about this idea of a family media plan, like a contract or some sort of strict, you know, this is how my family takes it on. This is how many hours a day. What's your take on, on that? So this is a great question. Um, I would say let's rise above the archaic cell phone contract okay. and move it to a place. In our family, we call it the MyTech plan. And we feel like it's it's just kind of a, a step up from the typical cell phone contract where the parent writes out the rules, the kid signs in blood. And if you don't, you know, adhere to this, then your phone is gone for a year, right? I don't know, because right it, now that sounds really good. No, I'm just kidding. Yes, but you can see how parents yes. would, a, there would be relief with that. Like, I'm going to lock it in and my job is done, but there's a better way, I'm sure. Yes. Tell us, teach us. There's a better way. So the way that we begin is with the family council. Mm-hmm. And, and we begin this by um, discussing why is the wise use of technology important to us as a family? Everyone has equal voice and everyone to this. Then we craft a very few simple rules that the whole family adheres to. And Brooke, I'm talking simple. These are like what? These are things like no phones at the dinner table. Okay. And certain zones where maybe as a family we agree that maybe the phones shouldn't go. Okay. 
you know, very, very simple. In our family, there's one day a week where everybody plugs their phone in and we go, it's kind of a technology technology cleanse. We plug our phones in on Sundays and it's a blast. We have a total blast. So we craft these very simple rules and, and very few, non-complicated. And then we move on to what we call, we call it my tech plan. Okay. And it's basically um, the rest of the plan is crafted by the child with the parents, you know, oversight and listening. And so this, this my tech plan kind of gives our children a chance to ask themselves, again, what are my goals? What are my aims? And what do I want my tech use to really look like from a bird's eye view? What does my day look like with technology? That child will pick places of vulnerability. You know, I'm feeling vulnerable to bad things with tech in my room. And so they may they may decide I'm not going to take my phone in my room. Or this is the time, the time span of day where I'm going to plug this in and engage with my family. These are all things, again, the goal is a child who chooses this, who crafts it for their own happiness, their own sense of life balance. And when a child chooses it, it becomes powerful, it becomes owned, and it becomes theirs. What if they don't choose it, Emily? What if I'm dealing with a teenager who says, yeah, I can handle my phone in my room. Yeah, 9 to 11 p.m. sounds okay. How do we handle those moments when they aren't really coming to their full potential and making the wisest technology choice? And this is a brilliant question, a very important question. And I think this is, this is where we get to the juncture where the parent says, you know what, this rule is part of the family rules. This is part of it. Um, in our family, we have a ten o'clock cutoff time where where that's you know that's the line. That's the non-negotiable. line. Non negotiable. Non negotiable. And a child might say, eh, "I'm going to switch off at eight. You know, they may do that. But but I do. Th- I think that that parents can receive that kind of inspiration. That there are some lines, and there do need to be consequences when those lines are crossed. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important to view. The, the road to being wise with technology is a process. It's a growth process. And so for parents out there, I would say, who are discouraged, I've got an 18-year-old. She's completely hooked on her phone. She's, you know, you feel like all of Take hope. There is always, always hope when it comes to inching our children to, into better behavior. I think it's important for parents to recognize that errors with technology must be expected. Mm. We're really comfortable with the idea that when our children learn to walk, they're going to fall down. Yeah. And we are comfortable with that. But where the stakes are higher with technology, we are terrified of our children making mistakes with technology. And I tell you, Brooke, in my family, where honestly, as parents, we have been pretty good in our ta- in our training. Yes. These errors and mistakes happen in my family too. The falls happen. And they do. These mistakes happen. And so the key is we keep the open dialogue. We continually express our confidence that they are going to get this. We back up. We reteach. We lay down ground rules. We check in. We work as a team. And we do not despair when those errors come because that are as parents, we're struggling, sure. as, you know, as a generation with our own technology sure. use. And so we we can expect that our children are on that same developmental path. Uh, 
I could just listen to you talk all day because it feel, it feels so good, right? That's that's truth. That's right. It just feels good. A lot of parents will use technology in a restrictive way, like we referenced only so many hours a day, or maybe technology becomes that takeaway, that punishment. You have maybe a, an alternate view in this that we can replace technology with things that are awesome, as opposed to stripping it away as the punishment. Yes, yes. I really think, Brooke, that this may be one of the great secrets of parenting technology in that um, rather than kind of an obsessive harping on the technology itself and a kind of an obsessive restrictiveness, so so focused on the restrictions and the rule breaking, I think we can shift ourselves ever so slightly to a place of replacing technology use with other amazing things. Mm. And, and I don't know that this necessarily means that you need to go like rock climb as a family for every evening, mm-hmm. but I think that there are things that can be done. We can fill our homes with materials that are fun and powerful. For younger children, we fill our homes with alternative activities, with the blocks, with the Legos, with the, you know, the things that inspire creativity. And we insist upon time apart from screens. I think it's amazing to see, you know, sometimes, sometimes that restriction from technology actually invites the creativity. When a child really knows this block of time, screens are not an option, something magical happens. And those kids find other things to do. I'm thinking back to the thick of the pandemic. And again, my kids are in the littler stage. But uh, knowing that during that time, there was a little more technology, a little more screen time than even I was comfortable with because our whole day was blown open with no activities or outside structure due to those safety and health restrictions we were all living through. But Emily, I tell you what, the hula hoop the bubbles, this old-fashioned notion. And I almost felt silly talking about it because I could I could hear my friends or my sisters like rolling their eyes. Oh, Brooke, romanticize the hula hoop. Oh, yes, romanticize the jump rope. But truly, it engaged them in a way. And again, they're little, so I realize there's a different application for teens. But it engaged them in such a shocking way to me that I thought, we don't need to go to the screens as often as we do. I love that. Brooke, I could just cheer. For, for that perspective. It's really true. And I, I think something about the simplicity and creativity of those things is it's there's something to it. And yeah. I think when we kind of crash the habit of defaulting to screens, panicking as a parent, don't be afraid of boredom with those kids because boredom is the, the generator of that creativity and that life. And I think as parents... I heard a man say once something that really stuck in my head. I think his name was Roger Allen. And he gave this wonderful analogy. He said, if I were to place a living, growing plant in front of you and told you to make it grow, could you do it? And of course, the answer is no. Um, you, you cannot force a plant to 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 do that because growth is an internal process. And so as parents... I think we can take comfort in the idea that we are the creator environment. Hmm. We can make sure that plant gets the light, gets the sun, gets the water. We are the crafters of an environment that gives that plant its most likely opportunity to flourish. But we cannot control the, the growth process is an internal process. And so we have to let go of this idea that we can 
force that growth, that we can make it happen. We are the crafters of the environment of that child. And that's what we have control in. And so when our children make mistakes or choose in different ways, we trust that growth process and we take comfort in what we can control. Mm-hmm. And that is that that environment. And that is such a peaceful way to parent. As we talk about replacing screens or technology with more beautiful notions or beautiful opportunities, I fixed early in this conversation on a word you said just once, but I know it's an important word to what you believe and the practice that you implement revolving technology in your home, and that is stillness. I want you to talk to me about stillness, why it's such a priority to you and how it uh, marries really nicely with this idea of balancing technology. Yes, I think stillness is probably one of the crowning principles that we embrace as a family, both in this, this curriculum that we've created, but as a family. I think as a human race, we crave stillness. Um, we crave this, even though we kind of kind of naturally are so drawn to these technologies, when push comes to shove, um, that kind of silence that enables us to connect with whatever religious beliefs that we hold to, that we connect with our own inner thoughts, that we become more aware of people mm-hmm. around us, mm-hmm. that in this stillness, we become aware of the needs of other people. We connect eye to eye with the people that we love. And there is something about that stillness that kind of centers a person. And Emily, I don't even know if sometimes we realize we need it. I mean, as you describe that, we all think, yes, yes, connection. And, you know, hearing that inner voice and connecting to deity in an open and and absorbing manner. But sometimes I don't even think we realize it's the stillness we're lacking that becomes the conduit to all of those things you described. It really does. It really does. And I think that this ability to be still, and and I'm not necessarily saying dead silence. For some, stillness might be playing the piano Hmm. or writing or even cleaning drawer. That sounds kind of funny, but I think think that there is something about that stillness that centers us in, in what we really believe gives us a better perspective on on technology, honestly. Mm-hmm. When we mm-hmm. pull back, we feel a difference. And I think that that concept, unfortunately, is not natural in our society. We mm-hmm. have lost the we have lost that ability to seek that stillness. Um, our world has become more noisy, more intrusive. We're constantly bombarded with information. And so the concept of stillness now must be taught and must be learned. And honestly, probably the greatest ways that we can connect our children with this desire to be still is helping them observe us seeking it. Mm-hmm. That they find mom on the couch reading, that they see dad out on the deck watching the sun go down, that they, mom pointing out, the snow that's falling from the sky or pointing out some kind of beauty of nature, that stillness, climbing a tree, you know, those kind of things that we can model for our children, that kind of stillness, whether we live in an inner city or whether we're out in the country, we can model the seeking of this stillness. We can verbalize 
the joy that we feel in those times. Mm, well so. said. In our final minutes together, we've talked about, and you've so beautifully helped us reframe the idea of technology in a positive light and in a forward-pressing way. Talk to me about how a step beyond that, we can actually not just appreciate technology and be positive about it, but use technology to put more positivity into the world. How can we harness technology for good? Oh, I love this so much. Brooke, in our discussions, if you if you were to have a discussion or if you were to Google teams and technology, you will invariably um, see the demonization of technology wholesale. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the demonization of it, that it's all horrible, that it's all, keep your child away from this as long as possible. Um, passionately, I feel that our young people are meant to harness this technology for good. And as we speak about replacing the bad with good, Mm -hmm. we can do this also using technology rather than just training them about what to avoid. Let's teach them how to use it to spread light. Let's teach them how to text grandma and ask her how her day is going. Let's teach them how to craft a social media post that inspires and uplift. Let's teach them how to make a comment on a post that lift someone up, that cheers them on, that makes social media not a competition ground, but a, but a new avenue to lift other people, to use their voices. These kids, they are, like you said, wired mm-hmm. to use this technology. Let's make it a tool. Let's teach them, harness this, to master it, that rather than teaching them to be afraid of it, teaching them to avoid and be afraid and to in some ways crave it like some forbidden fruit. Let's teach them how to harness this to bring light to this world. (sighs) Emily, this entire conversation has been like a warm blanket. And I don't just mean a warm blanket of reassurance. I mean a warm blanket of empowerment. Like we can do this. There's truth and wisdom in what you're teaching, how you're teaching it. How can we get more about what you teach and specifically Family Tech University? Yes. So the response has been so strong with that uh, little paper workshop that we had put together for our kids that it is now available online. You can find it at familytechuniversity.com. We'd love to connect with you also at Family Tech University on Facebook and also on Instagram. Um, We have an incredible uh, community of parents who cheer each other on as they teach their children in these ways. So you can find us in those places. Well, listen, I'm grateful to you. I'm grateful for your wisdom and how you're sharing your experience with us and promoting light as you do. And if I can just be real, I'm grateful this conversation is recorded because I, I'm going to be revisiting this myself, I know, in the years to come. And I think I'm not alone in that. Emily, thank you so much. Thank you, Brooke. You've been listening to Family Rules, the podcast on BYU Radio. If this conversation was helpful to you as a parent, if you felt the fibers of this conversation, perhaps strengthening your home or inspiring your own family, we'd invite you to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also leave us feedback by rating or reviewing this podcast and helping us improve as these conversations move forward. We hope you'll join us next time and a sincere thank you for listening. Family Rules, the podcast, is a production of BYU Broadcasting.